1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski, and this is episode 11, calling it Social Recession. I know that sounds a little ominous maybe, um, but I found an article in the Atlantic Monthly this week, actually just a couple days ago that I'm going to talk about later, and that's really the inspiration for the title. So Tell Me This is a podcast about belonging, connection, community, how we Build effective community, how we strengthen those feelings of our own belonging and others' belonging. So, today we're going to continue to talk about the effects of social distancing in the backdrop of the COVID 19 virus. I really wanted to check back in with everybody because I know we are all trying to manage um, the effects of this virus. Um, I also know that the conditions are really different when we move from state to state, country to country. And I really hope that you and your family and your loved ones and your friends are making smart choices and staying in um, and only going out when you absolutely need to. And today in Massachusetts, the governor officially closed all non-essential business and urged us to stay inside. He he did stress that this is not a mandated quarantine, but I don't know, it feels really close to one and this is where it... Um, I don't know. I don't want to say it got real because it has been real for a while. My kiddos have been home for a week or so now. Um, But something about that just makes it feel um, more serious. So as I continue to manage our family's worries, or we, not just me, my partner and I, continue to manage our family's worries, schedules, and needs, I really do continue to have my students, their families, my friends, colleagues, neighbors, um, I don't know, just a lot of people on my heart and on my on my mind. And as I mentioned last week, um, you know, COVID nineteen certainly has changed my worldview, at least temporarily. I think, um, as I said, it's also fundamentally changed the way I walk through the world. Um, I gave the example, if you remember from the last episode, about going for a run and taking a wide berth around people. This week, I had to, I had, I. I had to drop off a package at the a, a pack a delivery store, um, you know, a, a UPS store. Um, and I guess had to is questionable. I really did want to get it in the store because I was worried they were gonna institute quarantine and and so they did. So I found myself approaching the store window and peering into the window and it it's not that it was crowded. I mean, there weren't that many people, but there were enough people in there that I waited outside the store to see if it was safe to enter. Um, And I'm using that word safe in quotes, right? Because like normally I would just go in and say good morning or good afternoon, whatever was appropriate. Um, But I didn't, I waited for a few people to come out. I went in the store, they had a, like a big drop-off bin. So you don't have, I didn't even have to have human interaction. I didn't say a word to anyone. So that, by itself feels weird. I know it's appropriate. I get it. Social distancing is critical. It just feels weird. And it just gets weirder because then I headed back to my car and I immediately pulled out a Ziploc bag of Clorox wipes to wipe my hands. I wiped the sleeves of my jacket. I don't even know if I needed to, but I felt like I should. Then I got out and wiped the knob of my car door that I opened with my hand when I came back from the store. I wiped down the steering wheel and I sat in my car and I just felt like, I don't know, I just felt like I was in a weird place. Like what, what is going on? Um, So, so I just felt like it was important to continue this conversation on the podcast. And so um, again, as I said, I totally understand that social distancing is absolutely necessary. It's really as sort of ordinary people, from the sense of not being you know, medical expert, the only thing I can do for my family is keep them safe in our house or in our sort of in our yard. And so that's what we're doing. Um, it It does remind me this social distancing that we also need to work really hard to create social presence, even when we are physically separated. Um I wondered if if other folks are feeling this or thinking about this but the other thing is I was sitting in my car wondering what alternate universe I was in I also have been wondering lately you know when I was running when I went to the grocery store um just to get what we needed and then dropping off that package I'm starting to notice people's body language the glances the expressions the reactions we have to each other and and I'm sure most of them are innocent and it's just us, you know, individually and, and communally trying to protect ourselves and others. It just also creates this weird space between us. So not only is there a physical distance, but even when we do see other people, it's like this awkward exchange um, from a distance. So I just worry and I'm wondering about the the effects of this, this whole moment on us individually and collectively. So I don't want to make this a depressing podcast. We already have plenty of stress and anxiety on our minds um, and probably in our bodies right now. But I do want to talk about the realities of this social distancing. Again, I want to continue this conversation. If you have listened to this podcast and you know me, I I want to name it. I want to be really intentional and not try to sweep this under the rug. Uh, and the part I mean sweep under the rug is to like forget about the effects of social distancing. Um, and interestingly enough this, this idea of distance has been written about a lot, um, particularly in online learning. Um, And I, I've, I, a colleague, a couple of colleagues and I have written on it a bit and certainly have been in the literature mostly because I spend a lot of time online teaching my own students. So I'm trying to understand things like isolation and something called transactional distance that we're going to talk about today. And I get that the choice to enroll in online courses and programs is so different than social distancing for a pandemic. I am in no way trying to compare the two um, in that sense because I get that you have support systems when you're in an online program, but the effect of the social distance that's created among the individual learner, the the instructor and the peers and even the program. So the institution um, that you're attending is similar. It is a physical distance often. The good news, and this is really why I wanted to continue to have this conversation, is that there are lots and lots of ways that we can mitigate these negative outcomes. So these feelings of isolation, depression, disconnection, um, low levels of belonging, dissatisfaction, productivity, achievement, all those things that I know you're either feeling or have listened to in the news We can work to mitigate those. We can't eliminate them. That's not the goal. We can mitigate them and we can create protections for ourselves and for our communities um, through social presence and building that social presence. So on today's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about transactional distance, um, what it is, um, communities of inquiry, which is something that is, is talked about in the online learning space and sort of one aspect of community inquiries around social presence. And then, as I said, I'm also going to talk about many ways that we can increase and strengthen social presence um, in our families, our communities, um, and just in our neighborhoods. So I hope you'll stick around. I think it's going to be a good one. I'm hoping you'll find some practical application from this episode. So um, stick around. all right welcome back to tell me this this is episode 11 a social recession based on an article that i read in the atlantic monthly um this week and as is customary i thought i would share a story um I don't think I can remember a time where we all had to abide by such an extreme measure of social distancing. I mean, I I think it would come to mind pretty quickly, and I just don't think I, I can think of one. And sure, I know we spend time away, but we're usually not completely away from people. So even when we take extended vacations or if you go abroad um, for a trip or if you go, I don't know, even if you sort of go, um, you know, now we, nowadays we call it off the grid, Right. Um, meaning maybe that you're going, I don't know, to national parks or going camping or even just going, I have a good colleague, she and her family went, um, you know, on a trip and they really did go off the grid, meaning just trying to stay from away from technology. So even in those circumstances, when there is some distance between your your sort of normal uh, social network, you have other people that you're going to visit or there's a, there's a community um, which you become a part of while you're on vacation. So um, it doesn't compare. I get that. So, n- nonetheless, as I was trying to come up with a story to share, and I always like to try to integrate my grandparents into this, of course, the best I could do was to think about when we used what we used to do when my grandparents would travel. Um, my grandparents had the good fortune of retiring early, and I actually think I haven't done the math, but I actually think they're one of those rare cases where both of them were retired for as long as they had worked. Um, and believe me, they were both really hard workers and worked for a long time. It was important, but remember they lived into their nineties. So, um, it's quite possible it was about half and half, which is, which is kind of cool. So as such, they love to travel. If, if any of you have been following this podcast, I told a story early on when they used to take their own kids and jump in the car and they wouldn't tell them where they were going. It was a surprise adventure. Well, that was just in their bones. Um, for their whole lives, they—I can remember them um, buying an RV, right—and um, taking it cross-country a couple times. I think they did the northern route, and the southern route, and then perhaps redid the southern route. I can't remember. They did it a couple times, several times. They often would go camping for extended periods. They took cruises. Um, they took a trip to Hawaii, and they—they they finally, as they got older and didn't want to travel as far. As often, they bought a small place in Florida, um where they spent most of their winters golfing. And I, I think I also told you a story where I used to visit them, um, you know um, for my spring breaks in college. So again, while I was not quarantined by any stretch of the imagination as a kid, this felt like real separation. and crazy, I, I'm gonna tell my age here. I'm not going to tell my age, but you're gonna know my age. Um, It was before, at least in the early years when they started traveling, it was well before the internet, cell phones, FaceTime, and Zoom. Um, So it did, in a lot of ways, feel like isolation. So the question is, what did we do? Well, I bet for some of you who have been listening and know me and feel like you know my grandparents, my grandmother always sent us postcards. She would drop a cool postcard in the mail from wherever they were traveling Um, she would write letters and we use the old fashioned phone, right? So we would pick up the phone and talk to each other. Um, when they finally settled in Florida where they actually had a physical address, I of course sent cards, whether it was for a particular occasion or just because I was thinking about them, letters, Um, We talked a lot and we stayed in touch to try to reduce that physical distance between us. And I know it's a little bit different in this circumstance because we already have had a connection, a bond, but it helped. And I've tried to carry that on with others um, whom I don't see so often. So when you think about your own communities, um, you know, think about how you could sort of enact some of this in your own life right now. And I would urge you, you know, tell me this. Think about the last time you went to the mailbox, you opened that little door, or you took your key and opened your box, whatever it is for you, and you got a surprise. For no reason, you found a note, a card, a letter. It wasn't a holiday. It wasn't your birthday, but it was just from someone who was thinking about you. How did you feel? Exactly. That's why we got to keep doing this kind of stuff. So as I said, on today's episode, I'm going to chat a little bit about transactional distance, communities of inquiry, and then get into some practical ways that we can try to strengthen and increase social presence in our worlds as we're dealing with this COVID-19 virus. So when I, get, when I come back, I'll talk about transactional distance and community of inquiry. So I hope you'll stick around. Thanks for joining me today. All right, I'm back and this is episode 11 of Tell Me This and we're going to talk about transactional distance and community of inquiry just really briefly. Um, Transactional distance is actually a a term that was coined by Michael G. Moore in the early 70s and it's a concept that's used to describe this sort of universe or um, space of teacher-learner relationships that exist when learners and instructors are separated by space and or time. Um, This idea of transaction, so why is it called transactional distance, derived from Dewey, so in the early 40s, describing the interaction of the environment, the individuals and patterns of behavior in a situation. So the sort of interchange or interplay of those factors. In learning, when we think about learning and remember, I had a great um, friend tell me uh, the other day that, you know, learning doesn't just happen in the classroom, right? Let's keep that in mind, that um, learning can happen in any moment during your life. So this is relevant even outside the classroom. In learning, this transaction is between the teacher and the learner, where there's a separation between, you know, between that teacher and that learner or that instructor, and it includes a psychological and a communication space that needs to be bridged. So transactional distance isn't just the physical distance. It's part of it, but there's also a psychological and a communication space. And you could imagine that the geography, the person's attributes, the characteristics, the context, all of those things can influence the psychological and communication space that needs to be bridged. So, um, Moore also talks about trans- transactional distance referring to this idea of a distance of understandings and perceptions caused in part by a geographic distance that has to be overcome by teachers, learners, educational organizations. And if it's effective, deliberate planned learning is to occur. Now, this was from an article he wrote in 1991. And remember, if we if we think about learning And these spaces happening outside of a classroom, you could easily replace that word "teacher" with "instructor," and educational organizations could be other organizations. And to me, the key is it is, you know, caused in part by geographic distance, but it can be overcome, and it can be overcome if we're deliberate and we're planning this learning. And in the case of education, but it makes me wonder. You know, if we're deliberate and we make a plan in our own lives, can we also overcome this distance as we think about this pandemic? Um, He also reminds us in his articles that if we aren't attending to this transactional distance in the many ways that we can, there's a potential for miscommunication, misunderstanding. And I added in here that, of course, this also goes along with making up making up assumptions, making up our own assumptions about a situation. And even as, you know, Brene Brown reminds us, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves. So in our brain, as we see somebody reacting to us in a grocery store during a pandemic, we might be telling ourselves a story about that situation that is completely off the mark. um, But we don't know uh, because we're not engaging with that person. So that space for miscommunication, misunderstanding, making assumptions it's part of that transactional distance. So th- as I said, there's been lots written on this, not just about transactional distance, but how to address transactional distance. And one way that particularly in the online space that that I guess instructors, instructional designers and program developers have tried to address and acknowledge this transactional distance is through something called a community of inquiry. If you're familiar with... Um, professional learning communities, um, communities of practice, those sorts of collaborative spaces. This is similar. I mean, each each of those collaborative spaces has its own unique attributes. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lead you to believe that they're the same. But community of inquiry, an easy way to think about it is really taking some of that idea in the online space and this was first developed by a couple of authors or three authors garrison anderson and archer in 2000 Um, and it really comes out of this notion that you know there's this idea of social construction of knowledge and john dewey and to me the important part for this conversation is that it is also centered on a community of learners at the heart of inquiry so again it doesn't have to be just in an education context, but this is a community at the heart, right? So, community inquiries and this framework, you know, involves, as I said, a process of learning through social construction, regardless of the separation of course participants in time and space. So, this idea that there is a mechanism to try to mitigate the effects of transitional transactional distance is this idea of community of inquiry. And there are three aspects of it. So these integration of what the authors call cognitive teaching and social presence. And this is not a podcast about just community of inquiry. So I am actually just gonna focus really briefly on social presence. Um, So again, Garrison and colleagues talk about this community of inquiry. And I wanna really hone in on the social presence piece because They suggest that in order to elevate this notion of social construction and really facilitate the social construction of knowledge, you need this social presence. And to them, it includes um, three elements. It's called effective expression, group cohesion and open communication. Right. So effective, affective expression, group cohesion and open communication. And. These may be words that you haven't heard put together, you know, in this particular context, but I'll bet you that these are things that you do hopefully at least a little bit in your all your spaces with your communities, your friends, your colleagues, your students. So affective expression, as an example, is a matter of personal expression of emotions, feelings, beliefs, um, you know, values to project presence, right? So you really are expressing part of your authentic self, which includes emotions, feelings, and beliefs. Group cohesion really is about interpersonal communication. So it's not just a matter of an instructor sharing or one facilitator sharing. It really is the interplay of communication, the dialogue among that community, which, of course, then hopefully leads to the ability to build community and create that group cohesion. And the other element of open communication, again, is just encouraging interaction, critical reflection. And the thing about group, sorry, the thing about open communication, which is different than the group cohesion, is that you're complementing and responding to each other and creating an environment where there's some trust. So then you are able to express your emotions and feelings. You're able to have interpersonal communication. So These are not sequential by any stretch of the imagination. These all need to be injected into this space. And it really does create a supportive environment where you're able to sort of think through things and perhaps socially construct these ideas. And in a classroom, it's sort of socially constructing, you know, knowledge that's relevant to a class or a topic. But you can imagine that if we're able to think about just the social presence part of community of inquiry, if we're able to bring that To our virtual spaces right now, um, because that's really mostly what we have, um, it's pretty powerful. We could create spaces where we could have good, authentic, community-building conversations. So so when I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about this um, social recession article that I mentioned earlier in the Atlantic Monthly and wrap up with some ideas on how to increase and strengthen social presence. So I hope you'll stick around. Thanks for listening. All right, I'm back. So when I set out to record this podcast or the episode uh, today, I thought I'm going to cut it short because things are just crazy. And then I started preparing and found some really good information. So I hope you're able to stick around. Maybe you're listening to this as you're, um, I don't know, doing things in your house, doing laundry and catching up on, on whatever household chores you have, or maybe your kids are, are reading a book or something and you have a moment to listen. So I hope you're, I hope you're able to stick around for the, the entire episode. We're, we're, we're just about to the end. Just, just give me a bit more time here. So, so as I said, there's an article in Atlantic Monthly. Um, it was a couple days ago, March 22nd, and it was written by, um, Murthy and Chen. And they started off the article talking about, of course, what we've been talking about, which is this social distancing to prevent COVID-19. They also definitely agreed, um, you know, this is important that we need to do this for ourselves and for our community. So there was no argument about that social distancing. What's interesting is they talked about how, you know, that the pandemic could trigger um not just, I know we've been talking about economic issues, right, with people being out of work and et cetera, but they were really focused on this other outcome, which could be a social recession. And they defined it as a fraying of social bonds that further unravel the longer we go without human interaction so that's really what we've been talking about i just i was attracted to this article or interested in this article because as many of you know i'm you know trained as an economist in my in my undergrad and master's uh degree and so when i saw recession i thought hmm and then i saw social recession i thought well that's kind of interesting and and recession is often defined as consecutive quarters of, you know, um, downturns in growth. And so it's interesting to hear them talk about this notion of this further unraveling the longer we go, making it a recession. So um I know it sounds daunting, but it 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 does have a as a silver lining to it. so hang in there. They go on to say that, as we've already talked about, social recession affects, mood, health, the ability to learn, and that sense of community that we've been talking about. And interestingly, I, I haven't heard this articulated, but I really liked it. So I wanted to share it with with you guys. So they also said that, you know, we think about a strong economy. And when we have a strong economy, it really does create almost a protective factor or bolster against losses, right? So if you're if you're in a good economy and something happens, you have some time Um, to sort of manage those losses. Well, similarly, they describe a social connection as representing a renewable resource that helps us face challenges that emerge. And I I think I knew that, but I'm not sure I had articulated it in quite that way. A renewable resource that helps us face challenges that emerge. Um, I don't know, I just thought that was so cool. So then they go on to talk about something um, some things that I had already mentioned or had mentioned earlier, this idea that a social recession is really hard to quantify, right? So with economic uh, economic recessions or economic growth, we have GDP and other measures to sort of tell us where we are, um, but it's a little harder with social recession. So, you know, we are seeing or have been seeing a growth of loneliness and isolation they cited some some reports. One was from the Kaiser Family Foundation in 2018 that found that over 22% of Americans reported feeling lonely. And we already know that social separation leads to adverse effects and just contributes to all sorts of, you know, not so good things. So where's it? You're probably wondering, like, where is the silver lining, Carrie? This has been, you know, adding to my stress as I listen to the episode. Well, I hope not. Um, I hope it's bringing these ideas to the forefront. And I hope that it's what it's doing is it's equipping you and hopefully empowering you to feel like you can do something about this. Because even in social distancing, just again, similar to distance learning, I know they're different, but there's there's some similarities there. There are things we can do to reduce these feelings and these outcomes, these adverse outcomes that happen as a result of social distancing. And that's where we get into the last part of the podcast here, which is talking about ways to increase this social presence that I mentioned with respect to the community of inquiry. So the the article, the monthly, the Atlantic Monthly article, as well as some articles I found on social presence and just my own experience um, as an online instructor and speaking to colleagues, I tried to come up with a list of sort of ways that we could think about reducing the adverse effects of social distancing. And I think we talked about a few of these last episode, but just as a reminder, the first one I would say, and this was in another article I read, um, high levels of structure. So routine are actually inversely related um, to transactional distance. So, you know, having, it, it, it's, it's certainly too much structure is problematic, but having structure and routine and being able to expect what's going to happen next in some ways and plan for that can lead to lower transactional distance. So what do I mean by that practically? Well, if you're struggling with your day because you're just really frustrated, I had a student that I was speaking to yesterday. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of stress and anxiety we talked a lot about and I've been doing, as I mentioned earlier with my kids, you know, make a to-do list um, plan part of the day. It doesn't have to be totally planned out and it doesn't mean you have to stick to it completely, but just come up with a schedule. What is on your to-do list? We actually yesterday with our kids, because we're trying to think of, you know, sort of projects we could do outside of just academic focus. So I brought my daughter's, she has a easel. So I brought that up into the the second floor of the playroom. And we made a list of the projects. So in addition to having sort of our daily to do list, we have a running list of projects that they really want to do. That's all about painting and building and and helping with, um, you know, uh, refinishing some furniture that we want to do. So so that's you know, I wasn't. I, that wasn't my intent when I started to do it. Part of it was just my type A-ness needing to be organized. But um, it makes sense. So now every morning, they go to that list and they're looking at what's going on. and and they I can see that they get some joy and excitement out of knowing what's possible and what's coming. So structure, find some structure. Um, another idea, and I know we've talked about this previously is, try some virtual time, right? So this idea of being intentional about spending time with people, you know, virtual, if you're a teacher, try some virtual office hours a couple of days a week. If you have colleagues that report to you, maybe there's a team, not even if they report to you, but maybe you're just a team, set up some time where folks know that you're going to be online, you know, maybe, I don't know, an hour a day or something. Or Integrate a lunch. So the thing we we also have been doing, and I think I mentioned it, is try virtual lunches. Just get together with people for no particular le- reason and eat your lunch while you're having a conversation. So again, this is also related to structure and expectation. If folks know you're going to be online at a particular time, they may stop by. I actually this week decided to do um, for this week I'm doing what I'm calling happy hour. So in the evening I'm staying online. For an extra hour uh, this week and just saying, just stop by and say hi. And so last night was our first night doing it. And I have to say, it was a really great conversation. We we talked about all sorts of things. Not, We really spent little time talking about COVID-19. We did ask each other how we were feeling and how we were doing. But we talked about our kids, school, politics, Uh, current events, um, just all sorts of things that were going on. So it really did kind of feel like a happy hour, like if you were at some um, organizing event. Additionally, you know, related to social presence, of course, is dialogue. This has also been found to be inversely related to transactional distance. So this idea of creating, you know, interaction, listening, sharing, asking open-ended questions to each other, just creating the space to express your emotions, right? Um, authentic expression of emotions, being open and honest with each other, reflect on what's happened. How are you working through and managing the circumstances? And then of course, taking the time to compliment, to notice, to be empathetic with one another, really engaging in real dialogue. Um, Also allowing people to hold conflicting ideas. I have a a really good friend who sent me some some sort of tips that she had. And I loved this one, this idea that, you know, you can feel anxious, but also feel some relief that your family is safe. Right. So being able to sort of hold what seem like conflicting emotions, like you feel you feel bad for what's going on with other people, but you also feel relieved that your family is safe. It's OK to feel those feelings um, and just not only recognizing the conflicting ideas, but also just that is also listening and sharing and attending to um, just individual needs and, and having that dialogue. The last two I would mention are. Um, The first one is just find other ways to build community. I had a meeting yesterday with our elementary school PTO and we were just, we really were just brainstorming what can we be doing as a community to make sure no one's falling through the cracks, right? So we decided that, for example, all the, we have um, what we call homeroom, we have homeroom parents or room parents, I guess is what it is in elementary school. And so we're reaching out to them and asking if they'd be willing to facilitate virtual lunch for all of the classes at, at the elementary school. Um, we're trying to think about setting up some sort of not helpline, but just letting the families at our elementary school know that if you have questions or need something that you who you can reach out to. so just figuring out ways to create a network, so that nobody falls through the cracks. And the last one I'll mention um, before I close down this episode is I talked about it earlier, this idea of shared reference. So bridging media. And again, I, I really do need to get my good colleague on this podcast to talk more about this um, this work we've been doing together. But shared reference in this circumstances, I feel like could be you know, starting a a a book club online or just picking an article to read together and then meeting online to chat about it. Maybe it's about, um, you know, something you're experiencing and maybe talking it through. So you could talk about the article. So if you're not as comfortable talking about how you're feeling about a particular situation, you could at least talk through what, what the article was referring to. Um, listening and discussing podcasts, same thing. These, these shared reference, often give us a space or a place to direct how we're feeling and thinking without necessarily having to unpack our own individual feelings first. And sometimes that creates that bridge um, that we need to start conversations, to build community, um, to create connection. So so think about it. It's it's possible. And, you know, I know we're all busy with things to do, but you've got to make time. So, in closing, I wanted to mention that um, I am going to try really hard to continue to make an episode each week. I will say that it's possible that some of them might be shorter than others. It really just depends on our all of our schedules, what my kids are up to, what, what my responsibilities are in the schedule that day. I have been toying with the idea, My son, my oldest son really wants to record a podcast with me. So I've been toying with the idea of doing A series of short podcasts with him. Um, We're still trying to figure out the what, because you can imagine an eight-year-old wants to just get on and hear himself talk, and and I'd like it to be productive, but more to come on that later. Um, So I'll do the best I can to keep those episodes rolling, um, because I know some of you do expect them every week, which I really love and appreciate, so, what i what do I want you to think about this week? Well, I'd like you to try a few things, and these really come from that Atlantic article. Be intentional. Spend fifteen minutes chatting with friends and family who are outside of your home. So every day, think about someone you could call. you could hop on a Zoom session with, do FaceTime with, Just make it part of your regular routine. Check-ins. When you are meeting with folks or even when you're just going online to send an email or through Facebook or Instagram, stay really focused and present. Don't wander off into some other space of Facebook. Do what you need to do and then move on. And lastly, and I really love this one because I hadn't been thinking about this one, but it totally makes sense. Try to find moments of solitude, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes or 15 minutes Um there is joy and comfort in renewing ourselves and finding joy in your own company. You can you can even if you're not technically an introvert, you can find opportunities to replenish yourself and and rejuvenate your energy by appreciating and enjoying your own company. So for now, please take good care of yourselves, each other, and just check in on on your community, your connections, your social supports, make sure everybody's being safe and healthy, and think about cultivating social presence in the ways I discussed today. If you have some ideas for how to support our collective social cohesion, I would really love to hear from you. Um, I'd love to hear stories of what you're doing in your own communities, with your colleagues, with your students. A lot of the ideas I've come up with for my kids, I have found from others. So please, 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 if you have ideas, send them and I can certainly share them with our larger community. You can send me an email at kerryborkoski at gmail.com. And so for now, I'm your host, Keri Borkowski, and this has been another episode of Tell Me This. Thank you so much for listening.